Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, may they be pleasing to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So today, just for a few minutes before we break bread together, I want to ask a question. Why are you here? Why did you get up this morning? To come gather with the saints, both living and dead, to worship at St. Luke's. Um, did you come for the choir? I do. I love, I love hearing the choir. I love the music, and it's beautiful. Or maybe the liturgy. Or maybe you need an encouraging uh, um, sermon or a message to get you through the week. Or maybe you just need one hour just to be still. Life is hectic, and you can at least be still for a little bit at the first of the week. I don't want to see hands, but some of you may be here because your spouse drug you here, right? Any hand? No, don't, don't raise your hands. Um, and yet, and yet, really deep down, whatever reason that motivated you to get out of bed and be here, I think deep down we want to be disciples of Jesus Christ. I think there's a hunger there for each of us to live a more authentic life. And we know we need help. It's not a DIY project. We can't do it alone. And so we gather as the body of Christ, um, Sunday school or a mission trip or a worship or other things that we do as a church so that God might continue to chip away at at what was never meant to be there, God making the masterpiece and cutting away and cutting away until we are precisely the image of Christ. And yet, says Jesus, it comes with a cost. There is a cost of this pursuit. In Luke's gospel, Jesus advises those who want to follow him to count the cost. To count the cost. He says... You wouldn't want to build a building without knowing whether you had enough building supplies. And a king doesn't go off to war without first calculating if he has enough resources for the battle. Consider the cost of what it means to be a disciple. So the question I often ask, and this is the, sort of the last Sunday of our Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, this series, is are we fans and admirers of Jesus only? Or are we followers? Because there's a difference. Jesus had a lot of fans in his ministry. He had people trying to get to him. He, could, he went up to the mountain and they would find him. Uh, he, would, he would be in a, in a town or village and try to keep it a secret. And they'd be knocking at his door because he had a lot of, fan, a lot of fans in Galilee. Lots of them. One time... They wanted to hear him preach, this rock star, and it was, he was so, that people were pressing in on him so much that he had to take a boat, right, and took the boat out about 50 or 100 feet out, and he preached from him there. He could do no wrong. He could hardly rest. But as soon, as soon as he began to lose popularity and he began to make enemies, powerful people who were enemies in high places, People started to pack up and leave and said, this ticket is too high of a price. Crowds 
tend to be followers and admirers of Jesus. Followers choose what Jesus calls the narrow way. Jesus, let me do what I can follow you. Help me. It's a tough road, but it leads to life, this narrow way. You see, what fans don't understand, what fans don't understand that followers do, is that Jesus doesn't go to the cross alone. He goes with you and with me. That's where he's leading us. He invites us to take our, up our cross too. And here's a great question to ask when you're in prayer, when you're running your errands, when you have a chance, just to ask Jesus, what do you want from me? See, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. And so the path is narrow. Now, if you want to be a fan, that's all right. But fans don't get their lives changed. They just show up the good times, right? Well, today's scripture describes a watershed moment in the life of Jesus. It's a turning point because from this point forward, Jesus is going to focus on preparing his disciples for his suffering and for his death and for his arrest. Now, this passage is often called the hinge passage because this is where the door opens and now it's swinging open toward the death of Jesus. Nobody wants pain and suffering for someone they love. I don't want that for people I love. I know you don't either. So we can hardly blame Peter for sort of overreacting and, and saying, Lord, you're never going to die. You're not going to die. You're not going to be crucified. Far be it. That will never happen to you. And at this point, Peter really understands only half the gospel. And I tell you, on some of my worst days and some of my even better days, I'm about halfway there myself. You know what it is? Peter, up to this point, is living a Christ-centered life, but he's reluctant to live a cross-centered life. And that's the whole gospel. It's a gospel of suffering. It's a gospel when we have to endure and pick up the cross. And Jesus leads us places that maybe we would rather not go. But Jesus is not only the miracle-working trumpet Savior, right? He wants, he wants to follow Jesus, right? Peter does. Who avoids, not embraces the cross. And that can't happen. See, Peter holds a fixed worldview that was pretty popular then, and I think it's pretty popular now as well, that this is how God works in the world. That these ideas make no provisions for Jesus dying on a cross. In fact, where God is, I always thought there would be no suffering. But what I learned when I live a cross-centered life is that exactly where there is suffering, there is God. And that is our path. Jesus calls every disciple to embrace an informed life shaped by the crucifixion. He invites us not only to be Christ-centered, but cross-centered in our living. The cross is our lens through which we follow Jesus. So when, Peter tells, when Jesus tells Peter he's going to die, Peter will have none of it. Never. No, Jesus. And then Jesus says something that, wow, kind of stuns me. Here's, here's Peter. He just calls Peter the rock. And, uh, and he, well, I'm going to build my church on you. He calls him Satan. You know, that had to have hurt <laughs> Peter's feelings a little bit. But here we get the first clue of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and not just a, a fan. That is, 
we get behind Jesus. We don't get out in front of Jesus. We get behind Jesus. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus says, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fashion a belt around you and take you where you don't want to go. Get behind me, Satan. Get, get behind me, literally. Get behind me and follow me. And don't assume I'm just any Jesus. <laughs> I'm Jesus of the cross. I'm the Jesus of Nazareth. See, sometimes we get our Jesuses mixed up. I know I do. We're looking for the Jesus of success. We're looking for the Jesus of popularity, the Jesus of comfort, and that's not the right Jesus. This Jesus is much more challenging, and sometimes we can be a stumbling block when we think, oh, you know, Jesus is going to just fix all my problems and issues, and Jesus is going to make life easier. No. When Jesus calls me, Jesus creates more problems that Jesus alleviates. Because now Jesus calls me to love others, to see others. Jesus says, hey, if you've seen the least of these, the ones that are the most despised, the most hated, the most ignored, you have done it to me. And y'all, that's a hard, narrow way. That's what Jesus calls us to do. Jesus, Peter is learning that as well. Got to get behind Jesus, not in front of him. Learn as much as you can about Jesus so that we can recognize Jesus out in the world in the most painful, broken places that we go, even in our hearts. Lesson two, Jesus' disciples learn along the way. We're in a lifelong pursuit. Jesus is not here to meet our expectations. He's here to change them, to change and redirect our focus. And that can be scary Beware of the Christian who has all the answers and who is not willing to learn and stay humble. Following Jesus is a long game, not a short one. I heard a friend, Claire Dobbs, say this. She's a clergy on on the Gulf Coast, and I love this. She said in one of her sermons, nothing sacred happens in a hurry. You were all just like crock-pot disciples. We're not microwave disciples, right? So God is cooking up stuff in us and taking even the broken and the hurt and the heartache and the frustrating, even your weakness is put in the pot and God is cooking up something that is beautiful. But you know what? You can't rush food, can you? Anybody ever? Somebody said, my mom could not cook. My dad was the cook in my family. Somebody told my mom, she said, Mari, you're the only person I know that can cook spaghetti in four minutes, right? But you know, here's the thing. My dad took his time. Now, my mom was very talented in other years, but she could not cook. She would admit that if she was here today. She'd be okay with that. But it's a lifelong pursuit. And none of us have arrived. We're all beginners, the beginner mindset. We continue to stay hungry, remembering that we are a crock pot. God is cooking something over a lifetime that will take years and decades. We meld our heart with the heart of Jesus. We don't follow him out of fear. We don't follow him out of fear, otherwise it wouldn't be good news, right? Later on in the New Testament, it says, perfect love casts out what? All fear. All fear, perfect love, 
cast out all fear. Jesus, over and over, and angels too, say, be not afraid. Because when we are afraid, we're not the best version of ourselves. We're not able to witness and do the things we've been called to do. Perfect love casts all fear. And I think the inverse is true as well. That is, chronic fear casts out love. Do not fear. Do not fear. I told the Sunday school class today, I've been by right beside a lot of people who were within days and even hours of their death, and not one person on their deathbed has ever told me, you know, I really regret that I didn't worry more. Right? Because even though the path is narrow, and even though sometimes God calls us out of our comfort zone, that's where life begins. It's where life begins. If we allow our fear, what people think of me, or what I stand to lose, or or if I'm afraid of hell or failure or being wrong, then I'm simply simply play-acting. Lesson three, disciples act out of love and not fear. That's what I'm trying to say. So we're in this constant pursuit of learning how to let Jesus love us. Glenn Fry, or was it the other eagle who wrote that beautiful song, you got to let somebody love you before it's too late. Rage and anger that's, that's just let loose in our lives or this chronic always there is not going to form us into people of the cross. That's why it's, good and it's not good enough just to know about Jesus because that's dead religion. No, we're called to fall in love with Jesus. Because we know that Jesus loves us. And you know, when you fall in love, you'll do all manner. You'll do, every, you'll do whatever, you know, for the person that you love, right? Not a big deal. You remember like those dating and courting days? You know, sure, I'll do this and do that. Now, sometimes that wears off a little bit, right? But I'm not going to name you. But do you remember when you were so captivated by love that you loved someone so much that you would have crawled through eternity for them? It ain't about knowing about Jesus. It's about knowing Jesus and loving him. And then we begin to walk that narrow way. It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus of the cross, not Jesus of popularity, not Jesus of success, not Jesus of all the things that culture tries to to trick us on. Jesus says you're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. So Peter Schizero, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, asked this question, do you follow the right Jesus, is what he asks. He says, we Christians are so immersed in our present culture, it's just difficult to disentangle our views of Jesus from what he calls westernized identity, where we value what looks good, what feels good, or what does good. We swim in this civil religion all the time, every day, We dress it up to make it look nice, even authentic. We think if we just dress this up and put lipstick on it, we say Jesus just right, then it's the way, but it's not the right Jesus. Jesus said, beware of the Pharisees and Sadducees and how they teach. These same temptations, popularity, greatness, and success, are what leads religious people to think we are spiritually, morally, and biblically superior to others. Consider all the harm done 
when we mix religion and arrogance in this world. In the name of Jesus, even. Throughout history, by those who thought they were better or more correct than others, it's been the kind of mentality that caused Christian crusades, the Inquisition, countless genocides, which hunts and murders and many other atrocities, all in the name of Jesus. When Joan of Arc was accused by the church of being a relapsed heretic, heretic, she was burned at the stake in 1431. Her last words were, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Adolf Hitler believed that the Aryan race was the master race, superior race, and certainly better than Jews. Now, he based this on a mythical, destructive lie that had taken hold of the imagination of so many around the world in the early 1900s called eugenics. Now, Hitler didn't care much about Christianity, but he used Christianity in his country to carry out the Holocaust. It couldn't have been done without people that he had fooled and he had tricked. And he used, guess what? Popularity, greatness, and success to do it. And he mixed it up with fear to pull off one of the worst mass crimes in human history. How do we know if and when we're following the right Jesus? Count the cost is how a mentor of mine put it. If it's not costing you anything to follow Jesus, then look for another Jesus. He would say this, often the call of Jesus comes with an O blank. I'm not going to say what that word is, but you just put the word that you think should be there. Uh-oh, right? That's when you know you're close. Disciples wound up following the right Jesus, the crucified Jesus. They were more than willing to give up their lives because they knew they, knew they were close and they were behind Jesus. Martin Luther King Jr., Baptist preacher, civil rights, extraordinary. He said, a person's true character is revealed not in times of comfort or convenience, but in times of challenge, controversy, and trial. And that's true today. One last story, and we're going to break bread. On September 11th, Fire Chief Pete Hayden, Pete Hayden was on the radio trying to get Patty Brown. He knew he was in the buildings. Command to post ladder three. Get out of the building. Get out of the building now. Patty Brown radios back. I refuse the order. I'm up here on the 44th floor. And I've got too many burned people with me. I'm not leaving them. And those were his last words. Are you Christ-centered? Wonderful. Are you cross-centered? Then pick it up. Jesus walks with you every step of the way. I don't know what crosses you'll carry. Each one of us has a cross shaped in our own life. Each of us, if we stick close to Jesus, will be led to places we wouldn't have chosen. Most of us will not have to give up our life and our family or be stuck on the 44th floor of a burning skyscraper. And yet, there is no questioning that where radical love for God and others will lead us. There's no, there's no doubt that God's going to lead us in uncomfortable places. The struggle is real. 
but also the good life is real. For any who decide to go from a fan to a follower, that's where everlasting life awaits. Amen and amen. I invite you now to uh, get your, um, grab your hymn books, please. As we prepare, uh, as we prepare for uh, communion, uh, you will be directed and you'll have a chance to kneel at the altar where you will be served. It's an open table, so all are welcome who respond to God's call to the table. Uh, you can turn to page 12 if uh, that would be helpful as well. And um, let me get this real quick. So yeah, I invite you to turn to page 12. Christ invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Blessed are you, God of creation and all beginnings, God of Abraham, Sarah, Miriam and Moses, Joshua and Deborah, Ruth and David, God of the priests and the prophets, Mary and Joseph, God of the apostles and martyrs, of our mothers and fathers, God of our children to all generations. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes 
in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, he gave thanks to you, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, Jesus took the cup. He gave thanks and he blessed it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. Renew our communion with all your saints, especially those that we named before you. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, strengthen us to run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. 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 Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. I invite our servers to come forward as we are two acolytes. Y'all come, y'all gonna help me. Dip it in there. Blood of Christ shed for you. Good. Body of Christ broken for you. Blood of Christ shed for you. Good. The body of Christ broken for you. Blood of Christ shed for you.
don't know. Okay. Come this way. Given for you, the body of Christ. Given for you. Take and eat the body of Christ. Do you want to try it every now and then? You want to do the do the cup? Okay, that's good. Okay. All right, you can go back down. Okay, you can. You're full time. So he can reach to you. The body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat the body of Christ given for you. Take and eat the body of Christ given for you. God bless you, May. The body of Christ given for you. What's your name? Hudson, the body of Christ given for you. God loves you. The body of Christ given for you, Haley. broken for you. The body of Christ broken for you. You can dip it in there. There you go. Good job. The body of Christ broken for you. Thank you. Take and eat the body of Christ broken for you. The body of Christ. You're welcome. The body of Christ broken for you. Thanks be to God. The body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat the body of Christ broken for you. The body of Christ broken for you. That's okay. Here, more where that came from. No problem. <laughs> yeah, okay. You good? Okay, no problem. That's okay. You're doing good. Look at him. You know what? Hang on. Get, come here for a second. Man, I wish we could spit it out, but we can't. We're just going to.
Jerry's cooking for you. Would you like one? Good. Jesus loves you. The body of Christ broken for you. The body of Christ broken for you. Yep, the body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat the body of Christ broken for you. Thank you. The body of Christ broken for you. broken for you and the body of Christ broken for you for the body of Christ broken for you hey how are you doing the body of Christ broken for you take and eat the body of Christ given for you the body of Christ broken for you loves you and I do too. The body of Christ broken for you. The body of Christ broken. How you doing? It's great to see you. The body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat the body of Christ broken for you. Uh-oh, we're going too far. Sorry. The body of Christ broken for you, Carla. Right there, yeah.
of the body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat of the body of Christ broken for you. God loves you. Body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat of the body of Christ broken for you. The body of Christ broken for you. The body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat the body of Christ broken for you. I'm going to let them get you khaki. Go to the, go to the maroon sweater. body of Christ broken for you. Dip it. There you go. God loves you. One, you ready? And about the body of Christ broken for you. A few more people get there. Hey, how you doing? And you can kneel if you want. broken for you, Tony. Take and eat the body of Christ given for you. God loves you, the body of Christ broken for you. God loves you too, the body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat the body of Christ given for you. Amen. Frank, I'll get you. All right, let's get Frank. Frank, body of Christ broken for you, brother. fine-looking family we got. Thanks for all, thank you for all your help. Appreciate it. The body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat. God loves you. The body of Christ, the bread of heaven poured out for you. The, the body of Christ broken for you. The body of Christ broken for you, Doug. The body of Christ broken for you. This is it. This is it. Your bowl is a lot neater than ours. Okay. Great job. God is good. We didn't run out of bread. We almost did. Um, But... uh, through miracle of pulling out smaller pieces as we went along, we made it. Friends, thank you so much for your patience today. We went over a little bit today, but my goodness, what a rich, amazing day that we had. And we, continue, we will be praying for Haley and Alex and Laura Thomas. And uh, may we celebrate with you. God is good all the time. I invite us now as we close in our worship, uh, you will see the number in your book. And that is 415, Take Up That Cross. Let us stand and sing.